Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. We're in a short series of messages I've called simply Christianity, a biblical view. And uh, the second part of that it has to do with believing, believing. Uh, our first message was on becoming, becoming, now believing. Colossians 1, 21. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Christianity is a word used in our world in a variety of ways. So we are endeavoring in this series of messages to take a brief look at what the Bible says about Christianity in the sense of the Christian faith. Now, maybe at some point in your life, you've worked hard to understand the nature of a piece of equipment of some kind, knowing how it works. Maybe you needed to do some repair work on it, and you had to pull up something known as a schematic. A schematic then tells you how that piece of equipment is put together, how it operates, how it runs. Maybe you've tried to build a structure at some point in your life, and in which case you had to look at a blueprint, a set of plans of some kind that would tell you how that building was supposed to be laid out and how it was supposed to be built. It should not surprise us that the schematics or the blueprints of the Christian faith are in the Bible. The Bible. And yet when we talk about something being in the Bible, that's kind of a daunting task. I remember when I was struggling trying to find the word pneumonia one time, I asked my mother how to spell it. She told me to look in the dictionary. Uh, Now, that was before the internet, for those of you who didn't get this, okay? That was before you could just look it up, before spell checker, Uh, none of that. So, uh, just saying about the, look in the Bible. Well, that's a big task from Genesis to Revelation. So, in order to try to put this daunting task on an approachable level, we've summarized the biblical teaching about the Christian faith and the four, the use of four words, becoming, believing, behaving, and belonging. What's it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means uh, becoming, it means believing, it means behaving, and belonging, the schematic of the Christian life. Uh, Last week, we considered the word becoming, as in how does a person go about becoming a Christian? You can attend a church for many years without being a Christian. You can be baptized without being a Christian. You can try to live a good life and try to help people without being a Christian. No one is born a Christian. No one. You must become one. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus so long ago, you must be born again. Becoming. Believing on the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might be saved. Today's message then will be devoted to the subject of believing as it is presented in our text. Where it is not so much, it is not about necessarily believing for salvation 
as it is believing in reference to what we believe, what we believe. Now, Paul was writing to the church at Colossae. As far as we know, he had never visited that city. Uh, It was a product of his mighty ministry in Ephesus, which was summarized in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, uh, by saying, All they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord of Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And Colossae was a part of that, part of what we know as modern Turkey, uh, not all that far from Ephesus. And uh, it was a result then of that mighty ministry so that Paul stayed in Ephesus, but his people, people he led to Christ, then traveled to various areas, including Colossae, and a church was established there. Our text makes it plain. They had been reconciled to God. You were alienated, he said, and enemies by your wicked works, yet now has he been, you've been reconciled to God. So they had become Christians. They had the becoming part down. But Paul was burdened. You see, becoming a Christian isn't the end. It's the beginning. And Paul was burdened about how they would stand before God. You see, the Bible is clear that we will all, all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. To give an account that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. And so Paul was looking to that time then when these Colossians believers reconciled to God, though they were, they, like all of us, were going to stand before God someday, stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to give an account for how they lived their life. Stand before the one who gave his life for us. Say, what did I do with that life that you reconciled? Judgment is not about our eternal destiny. Because those who will stand before him in this sense are already saved. It's about our reward. And that's very plain in the passage. I want, Paul looked at them and he was concerned. I want to be able to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. I want God to be pleased with the life that you lived and the service that you rendered as a faithful pastor, a spiritual leader, then to these people. Though he had never met them, he loved them and he longed for them. I'm concerned about how you'll stand before the Lord above reproach. Pleasing to God if, he said, you continue in the faith. Steadfast, without being moved, if you continue in the faith. You see, when we look at Christianity in the scripture, we understand that what we believe is so foundational to the concept of Christianity that it is often referred to as the faith. As it is in this text. Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The unity of the faith. A unity of our beliefs. Our understanding of scripture. Only let your conduct be worthy. Philippians 1.27. Of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent. I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit. With one mind striving together for the faith. 
at the gospel. Christianity is referred to in such a way many, many times in Scripture. So when Paul presents a possibility of standing before God in holiness, blamelessness, and above reproach, if you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and not moved away, this isn't about our faith that uh, leads to salvation. It isn't about discussing the possibility of losing our salvation because that is not taught in Scripture. It is instead about how we hold to the faith. That systematic accumulation of the teaching of the Bible as a whole, especially through the New Testament revelation. In a simple way, we could say then the faith refers to what we believe. Right up front, and I think very easily, we can see that being a Christian means that we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that there is one God. We believe that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. We then feel the obligation of discipleship where Jesus taught us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them so that people believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're baptized, and then they're taught to believe all things, all things, that Jesus has taught us that's a big subject all things but we can certainly see that this profoundly affects the way that we as Christians view the world view life view the living of it view everything and our view is profoundly different from the views of those who describe themselves as secularist who don't believe in God don't believe in Jesus have no hope of heaven, no fear of hell, and they're secularist. We look beyond that then, so we're certainly different from the secularists in the world. And we can also say that even among Christians and those who claim to be Christians, there's a wide disparity of beliefs. Uh, today we'll narrow our focus then a bit to talk some about what we believe as a church, the beliefs that undergird who we are that identify us as who we are and do this in a biblical manner. Uh, we begin by acknowledging the fact that our church is identified as a Baptist church. We are faith Baptist church. Uh, some might say, well, we're faith missionary Baptist. That is true. That is our official name. Missionary Baptist simply means it, it was a term that came into vogue. You may know this already. If you don't, this is new information for you today. But it is a name that came into vogue in the early 1800s as a result of a controversy among Baptists. Some Baptists were known as hardshell Baptists. That is, they did not believe in doing mission work. On the other side of things were those of our sphere of things. We do believe in doing mission work. We do believe in supporting missionaries, sending missionaries, and doing evangelism. Uh, those on the other side believed, you see, that God had already decided who all was going to be saved. And our mission efforts then would be unnecessary and irrelevant. It's hard to believe that that happens, but that controversy still goes on in our world today. And uh, so Missionary Baptist simply identifies as a Baptist who believes in doing mission work. But what about Baptist? Well, this is a name that grew out of our insistence on the practice of believer's baptism by immersion. Believer's baptism simply means that you must be a believer before you're baptized. And then we baptize believers only 
by immersion. That term, Baptist, grew then out of a more ancient term, uh, and that term was Anabaptist. Uh, The Anabaptist movement began in uh, the 1600s, 1500s, and 1600s in Europe. It spread quickly to England and from there to the United States. But those who were called Anabaptists did not like it. The word Anna means again, again. And so they were called or named again baptizers, literally, Anabaptists, again baptizers. Now, the reason that they objected to this is because they denied that infant baptism was baptism at all. They said, we're not baptizing people again. They've never been baptized at all. And so when it came to England, they dropped the Anna, Anna part, and it, they simply became known as Baptist. If you've ever wondered, maybe you've never even imagined, you say, well, I'm a Baptist. Well, now at least you know where the name came from. Throughout all history, that doesn't mean this was new. Throughout all history, there have been people who have preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ have taught the truths of God's Word. They've done it mostly in secret and mostly under intense persecution. They paid for believing the true gospel and baptizing by immersion many times and by the millions they paid with their lives. Um, They've always been there. How do we know it? Jesus said, I will build my church upon this truth and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus promised us heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. We don't know who all those people were. Many of them have died in ambiguity and they are resting now in an unmarked grave waiting for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Oh, but I look forward to meeting a lot of those folks someday. Uh, That's a crash course in what it means to be a Baptist. Now, we live in an area, obviously, where such an identification is not unusual. There are several other churches in our community that are named Baptist. It is also true that many churches do not identify themselves in such a way these days. They call themselves many other things. So let me say this and say it very clearly. The validity of any church is determined solely by its adherence to the principles of Scripture and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not by its name. It was common in previous generations to speak of churches of like faith and order. That meant similar beliefs and practices. And we still apply that rule to churches around us, similar beliefs and practices. The validity of any church is determined by its adherence to the principles of Scripture. So that it's not the name on the sign. It's not some real or imagined connection to other churches in antiquity. It is what we believe and what we do that makes us a biblical church and the same is true for any other church we do not claim that we get everything right any church you'll ever see including this one is made up of human people and led by human people so there's always a possibility that we might not have everything down right some of you people some folks i've heard that all my life well you baptists y'all think y'all are right on everything <laughs> well I guess I'm guilty. I I do kind of think I'm right on everything. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. (laughs) 
a tendency in our world today is to somehow minimize the importance of Christianity as a system of beliefs. And if we do that, if it's not about what we believe and what we do then, how we live out what we believe, then it becomes a matter of prioritizing feeling over faith. So that our, our faith just becomes something that is all about how it feels and our beliefs really don't matter. Uh, just a few months ago, I heard a pastor of a mega church boldly, boldly make the statement that they were going to turn away from a certain controversial belief, and I don't mind telling you what it was. It was uh, the biblical truth that only men can serve in the office of pastor. And this mega church pastor, very, very boldly, very plainly, said uh, that they were going to turn, we turned away from that because, quote, he said, it doesn't feel right. I can't imagine picking up this book and just taking an eraser and saying, well, that don't feel right. I'm just going to. Let me tell you right now, we're not going to issue any erasers here at Faith Baptist Church. No, we're not going to set our feelings up as a standard. The Word of God is true. The Word of God is dependable. The Word of God is right. We'll stand on it. If it doesn't feel right in the culture, then I just respond with the great words of Billy Sunday that I've used many times. And those of you who've gone here a lot have heard me say it a lot. Billy Sunday said, people say, I rub the cat the wrong way. He said, I don't. Let the cat turn around. They say, well, that, that won't play too well in today's world. I, I understand. You see, doctrine has always been divisive. It was divisive in the New Testament. We're just blessed that our doctrinal divisions is not leading to bloodshed yet. We've had a long, long run here in this country of believing the truth of Scripture, preaching it boldly without fear of imprisonment or bloodshed. How much longer that will be true, I don't know. But while there's a danger then of elevating feeling over faith to the point that we would declare beliefs to be insignificant and say, well, we're going to just concern ourselves with how things feel, it is also true that we must not content ourselves with going to church and having everything downright but just feeling nothing. So that going to church is not just about, you know, having a good dance and a good cry. But neither is going to church just about believing all the right things and having all our doctrinal T's and I's dotted just right. Remember, Jesus gave one of his strongest rebukes to the church at Ephesus because they had left their first love. They were orthodox. They were loveless. You see, there's a place for both faith and feeling. There's a place for both our beliefs so that we know the truth and we know what the Bible teaches and we stand for the truth. But there's also a place where we enjoy our worship in all its forms and we enjoy the singing and we enjoy the preaching and we enjoy the, the giving. And we're not ashamed of any of it. We love it. Our text then this morning commands us to continue in the faith and warns us 
not to be moved far away from it. Colossians was written about the same time as the book of Ephesians was written. And what Paul says in Colossians in our text today is that I was made a minister for this. For this cause I was made a minister. But then he goes on and gives us great detail about it in Ephesians 4. And I'm going to read this. It's a rather lengthy passage, but let's follow along. Ephesians 4:11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So while Paul just said, this is why I was made a pastor. This is why I was made an apostle. Why? That I was made a ministry. This, This is the essence of my ministry uh, he would refer then to these men that God gives to the churches. First apostles, he said, then prophets, then evangelists and pastors and teachers. Now, the prophets and the apostles had a foundational role. They were responsible for giving us, for writing for us the truth of the New Testament. They did this by inspiration. And when that work was done, when God put a period on the book of Revelation, it was done. And so the work of the apostles and the prophets uh, do not continue. They had validated the truth of Scripture. The spirit of the prophets were subject to the prophets. The apostles then would speak and and give them the truth. And once that truth was established, uh, then their work was done. And that leaves us with the evangelist and the pastor-teacher. And pastor-teacher is one word, by the way. The evangelists were much like our church planters or missionaries today. They were men sent out to lead people to Christ, baptize them, teach them, and form them into churches. And we still have them out there. Then there's the role of the pastor teacher, those who lead and feed the flock of God, which is the New Testament church. The job description of those who are called to be pastors is very clearly established to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. You see, it it is not your pastor's job, all of us. It is not your pastor's job to do all of the work of the church. The pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's our job to teach you, to make sure that you're properly equipped, that you have the things that you need in order to do the work of the ministry. We bring then people into the unity of the faith so that we believe the same things to our knowledge of the, of the Son of God. So we see then the men in Ephesians 4 that God gives to the church to accomplish this task. The task that God requires them to do, equipping of the saints, bringing the saints unto the unity of the faith, unto perfect manhood or perfect maturity. And the result of what they do. Oh, what a great sentence that was. So that there'll be no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. 
so that they'd be strong in their faith and not fooled by the trickery of men because they keep on speaking the truth. Within such a framework, then the fellowship of the body is joined and knit together because all of the members are working together. All of the members are in the unity of the faith. All of them then have a task to perform, and they know what that task is. They are working together and serving together. They are committed to Christ and committed to one another. They all have a part to play, somewhat something to do. And the body then is growing. It is being built up, and it grows both in number. It grows in strength and it grows in love for one another undergirding it all is that deep solid understanding of the truth of scripture how it relates to our lives how it provides us with such a vital and growing part of our life that we can't be moved from it or swayed to turn from it By way of contrast, we have Romans 16 and 17, which tells us the other side of things. While there are those good and faithful men that God gives to the church, there are those to be avoided. Now, I urge you, brethren, note those who call divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine. That's the faith, the beliefs that you've learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech. Deceive the hearts of the simple. What a great warning for us today. There are many to watch out for. Many to look out for. Many to turn away from. Now, I'm going to wrap things up this morning. I've got a lot more material that I could preach to you, but I'm, I'm going to be merciful this morning. <laughs> Uh, I knew uh, as I was writing on this and studying on it, you know, sometimes I can whittle things down a little bit, and sometimes they just keep growing. And this is one of those sermons that just kept on growing. So uh, I'm going to put a period on it this morning. And, but I will tell you where we're going. Uh, if you look on our website, uh, www.faithcabot.org, And almost everybody has access to the internet anymore. Faithcabot.org. You'll look on a tab that says about. Underneath that about tag, there is that what we believe statement. It's our doctrinal statement. And it begins, obviously, with what we believe about the scriptures. And because that's where it all starts. Either this book is the inspired word of God or it's not. If this book is the inspired word of God, then this is the book that God wrote for us. God loves us. We believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Well, God wrote us a book. This is it. And this is how we know who God is and we know who Jesus Christ is. It's all, it's all in the Bible. It's all about the word of God. You say, well, Brother Rich, do you really believe all that stuff? Oh, yes, I do. I surely do. Maybe you've never read that. Maybe you've been a church, part of this church for a long time. Maybe you never have read it. Maybe you're just visiting and you say, well, I, I can't imagine such a thing. It, it's really not that long. It's not like it's a Louis L'Amour Western or something. Or I've really got to get some updated stuff. <laughs> Louis L'Amour was a Western writer and 
I've read all of his books, every one of them. Great writer. It's not a long thing. Everything we say we believe then will point you back to scriptures. Take a few moments. Look at those scriptures. Look them up. You can... I'd encourage you to do that this week because I'm going to be talking about it. I'm not going to preach the whole thing to you next Sunday. I wouldn't have done it even if I would have tried to do it this morning. I'm not going to do it. But, folks, we need to understand what we believe. It's easy to say, well, we believe the Bible. Yeah, but what does that mean to us? You see, we, we put down some things that we believe. And we've undergirded them and, and we've founded them, grounded them in biblical truth so that you can look at them and study them, see them for yourselves. Ask questions. I love questions. You can't be a biblical Christian without knowing what you believe and why you believe it. Because Christianity isn't just about feeling, it is also about faith. And I could say it is about both faith and feeling. We believe in God. We believed on Jesus Christ. We perceived him as our Savior. We follow him in baptism. We believe God has written a book then called the Bible. Don't you think it might be a good idea for us to look at what God says about marriage, for example? About what God says in the Bible about how to discipline our children, about our finances, about our business, about how to operate a business, about the future of our planet. That's a good one. About work and work ethic, about our health, about our bodies, about our sexuality, about our identity. Don't you think we ought to take a gander at it every now and then? If we believe in God and we believe God wrote this book, then we need more than just a passing familiarity of where it is sitting on a shelf in our home. And you might not memorize it all. I haven't. You won't learn all of it in a lifetime. I promise you that. But there are a lot of vital principles in this book that determine who we are and how we live, how we conduct ourselves. Christianity is not just about how it feels. Christianity is not just about becoming. Christianity is about believing. Believing. And we'll pick up here next week and continue. I hope you'll come back. Some of you won't, but you can watch in if you'd like to, if you're interested. If you're not interested, I hope at least you'll leave out with that question ringing in your ears. If you believe in God, if you believe that God wrote us a book, then what that book says is really, really important. And I need to investigate it. I need to look at it because God has something to say about just about any area of our life that we want to look at. God has something to say about it, and we need to know what it is. Let's stand together, please.